all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. morning and thanks for joining me today here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. It's going to be kind of open calls for you today. Anything that you want to know about how to stay or get healthy and fit. You can also send me an email anytime, fit at mpbonline.org. Now, while I'm waiting for y'all to give me some calls today, I want to talk a little bit about your end of the year health checklist. And you may say, what is that? Well, that is a list of things that would be great to kind of address or get done before the new year starts. Now, there's certainly things that can be done all year long, but I'm going to try and give you a couple of, of tips and suggestions of things to try and get taken care of with this last month that we have here in 2023. So the first thing on my list is probably not a surprise, but it is scheduling an annual wellness visit if you have not already had one this year. Or check with your insurance company. A lot of insurance companies allow for two wellness visits a year. In particular, uh, state employees often get two wellness benefit visits per year. So if you've not used that second visit, now is the time to try and do that. And what I recommend folks do is go with a list of things that you want to know about particularly when you're well, right? When we go in to see our healthcare providers with a problem, that's often kind of all that gets focused on. And that's okay. That's what you're there for. But some of these other things or other questions that you may have that are important to keeping you as healthy as you can be for as long as you can be may kind of get pushed to the side. And you think, well, I was at the doctor's office and we didn't say anything about it because we weren't there for that. Right. So having a wellness visit or a time to ask these questions is a really important piece in our overall wellness plan. So one of the things that I like um, to do or that I recommend people do is ask specifically if we can go over your medication list. And uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, depending on how how old you are, the different medical conditions that you have, there may be quite a few medications on that list. And you may have quite a few different healthcare providers that are 
writing medications for you, depending on the number of specialists that you have. You know, if you see cardiology for this and a kidney doctor for this. And so having your primary care provider um, really go through that list with you can be a great part of a wellness plan. And a couple of things I like to look for. Asking what these medicines are for. What am I taking this one for? Right. And are there any side effects that I need to know about or to be on the lookout for? Because you can certainly Google a list of side effects and it is going to tell you literally everything that could possibly happen with one of these medications, but not the most common things. And so your healthcare provider can certainly chime in and kind of tell you these are the things that um, are more likely to occur with this particular type of medication. And this is what, if this happens, this is a call that you need to make to the prescribing provider or to, to me as the primary um, provider to look at. One of the other things I like to look at is can any of these be combined or do any of these medications come in a combination pill? So a lot of times blood pressure medicines may come in combination pills. Uh, uh, we get tend to get started a lot of times with a diuretic, something like hydrochlorothiazide or chlorothalidone, um, and that's a perfectly acceptable uh, medication to start with when you're treating high blood pressure. But as time progresses or if we're not getting the level of control that we want with that, we tend to add something else to the mix there. Um, And some of those medications come in combinations. And so that may be a cheaper option for you, especially if you only get a certain number of prescriptions per month. So seeing if any of those medications can be combined together um, to kind of cut down on the number of pills you have to swallow a day or the number of medication copays that you have to pay um, can be uh, a good idea. And then the third piece to those medications is is there an option for me to stop any of these in the in the coming year if we make any changes to our lifestyle are there medicines that I might be able to to get rid of um, or to take less of and that can be really empowering way to start the new year um, if we're like well you know if we really made some changes to our uh, nutrition and really worked on our salt intake we might be able to come off of um, one of these blood pressure medicines or we might be able to back down on the dose of one of these so those are all really important conversations um, to, to have with your healthcare provider and I think Kevin has a question or a comment for me what you got well, this is uh, somewhat related to it, I, but uh, several years ago, I had some outpatient surgery and, un- and unbeknownst to me was prescribed some sort of pain mm-hmm. medication, which I never uh, got filled and never ended up using. A couple of years later, when I was uh, for a colonoscopy, they said, are you still taking the whatever it was? Yeah. And I never had it and didn't know it was on there. Mm-hmm. So maybe at that visit, it's a nice to review the medications. And if you're not taking one, to have it removed from your record. Absolutely. That's called medication reconciliation. And we should be doing that at every visit that you have with your health care provider. But, you know, it used to be uh, fairly easy when we had paper-based charts. Like, I would, we would just cross through it and say this person's not taking it anymore. Of course, electronic health records have um, greatly improved uh, health care in the way we're able to see and transmit uh, health information across systems and those kinds of things. But sometimes, I don't know what happens in internet land, I will click that this person is not taking this anymore, and for some reason it will pop back up um, later on. So it's important to do that at every visit, make sure that we're not um, taking those things. And some of the things that you would expect to kind of just 
drop off of a medication list, sometimes don't. And by that, I mean like an antibiotic that has a very specific start and stop date. You know, you take it for 10 days. You would think it would just fall off the list after 10 days, but it doesn't always do that. And so that's really important as well to kind of, I call it cleaning up that list and making sure that uh, everything that's on there is truly being taken and how you're taking it. Um, Because sometimes we don't take them exactly the way we're supposed to be taking them uh, for a variety of reasons. And I don't want you to be uh, afraid to tell your healthcare provider that you're not taking it though maybe the way it was prescribed because we need to know that information uh, especially if I need to if we need to adjust medications um, an example of that um, maybe your blood sugar medication um, if you're not taking it twice a day like prescribed maybe you're only taking it once a day and we get your blood work back and your blood sugar goal is not where we want to be I need to know that you're not taking it twice a day because if I don't know that, and I think you're taking it twice a day, and the max dose of that medicine is twice a day, I may want to add a whole other medicine on to try and get your blood sugar under control. So knowing that maybe you're not taking it twice a day, you're only taking it once a day, then we'll have a conversation about what's keeping keeping us from taking it twice a day, because it really looks like that may be what we need to do um, in order to get better control of whatever it is we're trying to treat. Um, It's also a really good time to disclose any um, supplements that you may be taking. And we've done several shows on supplements, uh, and you can always go back and check those out uh, by listening to our podcast. Uh, But, uh, you know, supplements... There can be a place for those. We tend to take a food first approach in lifestyle medicine and trying to make sure that we're getting all of our micronutrients that way. But there are certain instances where we may need uh, to have a supplement if we have a vitamin D deficiency, if we've got osteoporosis, we may also need some calcium supplements in there. Um, if we uh, are a completely plant based eater, we're not having any animal products, then we probably need a B12 supplement. So these are this is a good time to say these are the supplements that I'm on so that we can go through them and make sure they're they're needed or that they don't interact with any of the other stuff that is on your medicine list, but also recommend any supplements that we may need based off of of history. Right. So if we're a plant based eater, adding in that B12 and maybe even a vitamin D. Um, If we're on metformin, we may need to add in a uh, vitamin B12 supplement as well there because metformin can kind of impair the absorption of of B12 and optimal timing of those supplements. So a lot of times supplements may have calcium in them um, and that may interact with some of the other medications that we're taking just depending on when we take them in the day and whether we have food on board and all of those different kinds of things there. So this is just a really good time before um, the beginning of next year to sit down with your primary care and go through those things, clean up that medicine list, ask questions about why we're on it, what side effects or kind of red flags we should be looking for there, anything we can combine or anything that we might can work on getting rid of in uh, the new year there. While I'm waiting on some callers, I've been going through my end of the year 
health checklist, things we need to address before the end of the year. And in the first segment of the show, we talked about kind of scheduling that annual wellness visit and using that as a time to kind of clarify treatment plans, right, and get a good plan for what our health goals are for the upcoming year. Um, One of the other things that can be really important here is discussing what screening exams or tests are going to be upcoming for you this year. You know, uh, trying to get them all in before the end of the year might be a little bit more stressful than we want to, to hope for. But thinking about what I'm going to be eligible for or what I will need to get done in the coming year um, can actually help reduce stress because it's a good time to say, well, how long is that particular test going to take? Or do I need to be fasting for that particular test? Am I going to need a driver to take me to and from that test? Because that can help in planning for how you're going to do that, um, right? You may have to request off from work a fair amount of time in advance. And so knowing what you're going to be due for uh, in the upcoming year is, uh, is an important thing to kind of add to your health planning. So we'll go through a little bit of those things today. Um, Probably uh, the least, we'll go with least invasive first. So things like blood tests that you may need in the upcoming year. Um, You may need a cholesterol check, right? And this ideally is done fasting. So when you have not had anything to eat or drink for about eight hours. Um, Now, there are competing opinions about whether you truly need to be fasting fasting for that. But uh, the recommendation is still to get that when you haven't eaten, because food can uh, directly impact the triglyceride level on that. And so we don't want to be treating something that is just elevated because of what you had for breakfast, or we don't want to miss something because we say, well, it's probably just up because they had this, right? So the reason I bring this up is because When you schedule your appointment, I mean, the time and the day that you schedule your appointment may matter if you're needing fasting lab work, right? Um, Ideally, we would get you in first thing in the morning or a very early morning appointment slot so that you're not having to go without food or uh, your favorite beverage uh, until later on in the day. Now, there are only so many of those early morning appointments. So getting that scheduled early is, is helpful for that. The other thing is, if you can't, let's say there's no way you can get off work um, early in the morning, you're going to have to go in the afternoon or, or late afternoon, we certainly don't want you to not eat all day long like that especially if you have other medical conditions like diabetes. I don't want your blood sugar to bottom out. Um, It's always okay to ask your healthcare provider if you can drop by early that morning and just do the blood sample. Um, So I I offer that a lot of times. I'll say, absolutely, go ahead and get that drawn this morning uh, on your your way to work. And then when you come to your appointment this afternoon, I'll probably have the results already and we can discuss them kind of face-to-face and we don't have to play phone tag trying to get those things down. Um, so usually that that lipid panel or the cholesterol test is going to be the main one that we really um, look at in terms of food. For blood sugar, obviously getting a fasting blood sugar is is preferable, but 
If not, that's okay, too, because we can get that hemoglobin A1C test instead, which does not matter if you have when you have eaten, because it is a three-month average of your blood sugars, which is very different than kind of just what your blood sugar is right this second. Um, one of my favorite uh, dentists in the world explains it to his patients like a uh, a blood sugar is like a picture of what's going on right now. And a hemoglobin A1C is the movie. And so um, getting that that full movie picture, it, food doesn't matter uh, if you've eaten that day or not. So just always ask if you're going to have to be fasting for this particular lab work. And if so, try and get that earlier in the day uh, visit scheduled. Or if not, ask if you can come get those labs drawn uh, before your visit. That way we, we have them there. All right. In terms of more in-depth screening exams, you know, we've done many shows on those, but I'm going to kind of highlight a couple of of those that um, you need to have on your list of asking when you're due for them. That's things like your mammogram and your pap smear um, uh, for uh, females. And you can also discuss your risk of breast cancer, uh, regardless of whether you're male or female with your healthcare provider. That's always a great idea because that may determine earlier screening times than what would um, kind of be standard on there. Uh, now, colon cancer screening, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about because guidelines changed relatively recently. Um, for the majority of my uh, career in healthcare, it's been age 50 is when when you're supposed to start um, your true colon cancer screening, meaning your uh, colonoscopy. Um, they have actually backed that to age 45 now. So uh, five years earlier, uh, you, you, you got to get it done, right? You should be getting it done. Um, and so talking to your healthcare provider about that um, and how that procedure goes, how long you're going to need to be kind of kind of down and out for that and use that again in planning your planning your uh, visit in your year um, you do usually need a driver for that because you are gonna um, take a little nap for your colonoscopy it's not general anesthesia like where we put the breathing tube down and you're completely out um, it's more what they call twilight or conscious sedation um, where you're certainly not you don't remember anything that goes on you don't and they control pain and all of those different kinds of things but it is going to be a sedative and so that usually means that you're going to need a driver so thinking about lining that up when you're scheduling that and who is going to drive you because they're, they're not going to let you go um, if you don't have a driver um, and, or they're not going to do the procedure if you get there and you didn't bring a driver. And that means you drank that um, delicious cocktail for no reason. Um, with a prep for your colonoscopy, you got to budget that time in there as well in taking off uh, from work to get that done because you're usually going to start um, taking some of the prep medications one to two days uh, ahead of time. And you're going to need to be closer to a bathroom for that to occur. So all of that, when I say use this this time with your um, in your wellness visit to discuss what these things are going to look like and how long you're going to be need to be off for, is going to cut down on your stress on the back end of trying to arrange time to take off of work or um, scheduling vacations or any of the things that can kind of creep up and disrupt things that way. Uh, if you are... Um, 
not having any problems and are very low risk for colon cancer, meaning no colon cancer risk in your family. You're not having any bleeding, anything like that. You've never had an abnormal colonoscopy. You can always discuss with your healthcare provider about the option of doing a Cologuard test, which is um, less invasive where you uh, we write a prescription for it. They send the kit to your house. You collect the the sample and then send that back in and it actually looks for some of the um, uh, kind of genetic material or markers from uh, colon cancer. So that is if you are very low risk, um, don't have a family history of colon cancer, not having any kind of symptoms that way. That's an important one to get done. Truly, guys, colon cancer is um, incredibly um, survivable when caught early and um, treated early. So I could not plead with you more to get those things um, those things done. Uh, one of the other screening tests that I want to make sure we talk about is your prostate cancer screening. If you have a prostate, um, it used to be a rather uh, kind of clear cut when we do those things. And now we do something called shared decision making, which is where we discuss your risk of prostate cancer, any symptoms you may be having, and then decide when to draw that prostate specific antigen, which is a blood test. You do not need to be fasting for it. Um, and you'd have that conversation with your healthcare provider, usually starting about age 50 is when we would have that conversation. Um, but if you have any family history of prostate cancer or you're having any symptoms like hesitancy um, with your urinary stream, dribbling, um, urgency, frequency, those are things we want to know and talk about because we may start that screening process uh, sooner for you there. We did a show a couple of weeks ago about uh, low-dose CT scanning for lung cancer screening. That is another important one to think about. It is very quick. You do not have to be fasting, and you do not have to go to sleep for uh, that particular test. So um, you would not need a driver or anything like that. But it is an important um, screening test if you are a current smoker or you have um, stopped smoking within the last uh, 15 years. That's a conversation you should be having with your healthcare provider about whether you need a low dose CT scan. And then one one more kind of screening uh, tests uh, that I recommend for folks who have uh, or for men who have smoked in the past is what we call a triple A screen. So an abdominal aortic aneurysm screen. It's an ultrasound of one of the big blood vessels that runs kind of um, uh, through the abdominal region and an aneurysm can be a weakening of that vessel wall and it will kind of make it pooch and um, those can even rupture which is an absolute medical emergency and so um, men uh, that have smoked in the past even if they're not currently smoking um, you need to discuss with your healthcare provider if you're in that age range for getting um, that done and that's just a one-time uh, screening exam again it's an ultrasound so if you ever saw anybody get an ultrasound of their belly like when you're uh, pregnant that's what we're talking about so just some cold jelly on your belly that rhymes didn't even know that it was going to but that's wonderful uh, and so you wouldn't need to be fasting for that um, either so those are kind of some of the the key screening tests that you need to be thinking about for the upcoming year and making those plans about um, how much time you might need to take off to get those things done and have that conversation with your healthcare provider. Um, one of the other things that I think gets really pushed um, to the back is a skin check. 
And so this kind of end of the year wellness visit, if you're getting that scheduled, is a great time to ask for a skin check. Of course, ideally, I'd love to have that done by a dermatologist, but any healthcare provider, your primary care provider, can do a quick skin check, and that's a great time to ask them about any lump, bump, mole, skin lesion, anything you got going on, and say, is this normal? This has changed. I don't know what this is. All of those different things there so that we can take a look at it. And if there's anything suspicious at all, get you set up with a dermatologist to um, really, uh, you know, look deeper into that. Maybe, uh, you know, if it needs a biopsy, any of those different kinds of things. But getting that skin check at least once a year um, is an important uh, part of your, your overall wellness. And you can absolutely see a lot of your skin, but there's a whole lot of areas that you can't see. Um, in particular, um, your back, sometimes the back of your knees, those different areas are really hard to see. So having someone else take a look and really um, ask questions about the things that they're seeing, if anything has changed, if anything hurts, if anything bleeds, all of those can be, um, be really important. Uh, and then don't forget about our mental health. Um, we tend to just focus on our physical health when we're at our healthcare provider's office, but it's it's completely appropriate to start that conversation about your mental health as well. If you feel like you're not handling your stress well, or you're feeling more down, more depressed, sad anxious, not able to sit still, not having interest or pleasure in doing things that you used to have. All of those are kind of little red flags that say, hey, I need to talk to somebody about this. And we can dig a little bit deeper and get you connected with um, with healthcare providers that specialize in that and get you the help and treatment that you need. Thanks for joining me today here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Josie Bidwell, and we've been going through my end of the year health checklist. I'm also happy to talk with you about any questions that you may have about health and wellness or any goals you may have for the upcoming year. All right, continuing on with things that are important to get lined up for the new year are vaccinations. We do a real good job of taking our kiddos to get their vaccines. Um, but then once we become adults, we tend to slack off on that a little bit. Um, but now is the perfect time to talk about a couple of them in particular. One is your annual flu vaccine. It is not too late. A lot of people think once it gets to, to December and January, it's too late to get that flu shot. And it absolutely is not. Um, now is a perfect time. We are starting to see an uptick in flu-like activity and visits for respiratory infections. And keep in mind that the flu shot takes about two weeks to confer full immunity or to for its maximum amount of protectiveness. So plan accordingly now. It'd be a great time to get it uh, done and on board before uh, holiday gatherings that are going to happen toward the end of the month. Um, and it is just a, a one-time shot for adults, like a one-time-a-year shot for adults. Now, there are a couple of options that you can do there. There's kind of the regular flu shot, and then there is um, a flu shot, a couple of brands of flu shots that are approved for 65 and older. And so if you're in that 65 to older uh, range, you may want to talk with your healthcare provider about which one is best for you. 
the 65 and older has a bigger um, or a larger amount of the antigen in it. And so the word antigen is um, what your body's going to respond to and make antibodies to uh, and start to give you some protection against the flu. And so as we get older, uh, our immune system tends to not respond as well to certain things. And so sometimes we need just a little, little oomph. We need a little bit higher dose of those things to stimulate that immune response and make sure you're making all those good um, protective antibodies to the flu. So if you're 65 and older, ask your healthcare provider about that particular um, high dose uh, flu vaccine. Now, if that's not available, we don't want you to just skip the flu shot and be like, well, I'm 66, I should get this one, but they're out or we don't have it or any of those things. Um, no, you can get the regular one and that one will um, absolutely help and, and give you some immune response as well. But it's worth asking on those. Um, a lot of people ask me, what about side effect profiles on uh, the high dose? Pretty similar to uh, the regular flu shot, right? Maybe a little bit more soreness uh, in that area, little low grade temperature, but pretty comparable to uh, the, the traditional flu shot that way. What is newer this year is the RSV vaccine for adults. So RSV stands for respiratory syncytial virus, and it is largely something that we think about with kiddos, in particular infants and premature babies. They're, they can get really, really sick with RSV. It is absolutely RSV season right now, and um, kiddos get admitted to the hospital a lot of times with um, difficulty breathing, uh, harder for them to eat because their little noses are all stopped up up and full of snot and so that can make them get dehydrated with uh, but it's not just a uh, infection that only kids can get um, usually when adults get it it is a cold and so we don't really ever know that we have RSV we just think we have a cold but in some folks, uh, it can be much, much worse. And in particular, people who may have a lowered immune system. So our older folks, people who um, are on immune suppressant medications, have cancer, all of those things can um, make you more likely to not do well if you get RSV or be sicker with it. And so now there is an RSV vaccine for adults. It is for those 60 and older, and it is a one dose um, vaccine. So just one shot. Now, in the future, they may need a booster, but for right now, it is a one dose series of that and usually can be uh, gotten at any of your kind of regular pharmacies. You just have to ask about that. I sent my sweet mama and daddy for their RSV uh, vaccines because they're at increased risk, right? And so it's all about judging your risk and adding layers of protection in there. Um, so those are, are definitely two things to be thinking up, thinking about. And then the updated COVID vaccine is available as well. And you can absolutely have the flu vaccine and the COVID vaccine on the same day. That is a question I get asked um, asked a lot. And uh, some people put it in the same arm. I tend to not put them in the same arm uh, because the more volume of something you put in a muscle, the more that muscle 
hurts you. And so the flu vaccine is usually about half a milliliter. COVID vaccine is about 0.3. And so we're approaching the maximum amount that that one muscle can hold. And so while it is certainly okay to get them both in the same arm, I just prefer to switch them up or, or kind of space them out between arms. That way it doesn't hurt me quite as bad. And if I have um, a local reaction to, to one of those, then I know which one it is. And I'm not just going, oh, well, I don't know what it is because I put them both in that same arm there. But that's up to you. But you can absolutely get those um, at the same time. All right. So flu, COVID, RSV, those are three vaccines that I would be inquiring with your healthcare provider about whether um, you should be getting those. For a flu vaccine, everybody should be um, getting a flu vaccine unless you've had an allergic reaction to that in the past. Um, if you have had an allergic reaction to the flu vaccine, um, try and find out what type of flu vaccine that was because it could have been um, – uh, one that had egg product in it. Uh, there are a lot of egg-free flu vaccines now. And so knowing what brand that you had a reaction to is important when trying to judge whether we are going to be able to vaccinate you or not um, with that flu vaccine there. All right, moving on to two very overlooked areas of our body in terms of health and wellness, that is our eyes and our teeth. I'm not sure why we decided to just pluck those out and make them not part of regular wellness, but they are very important to, to be addressing. So we did a show a couple months back with one of the eye doctors from UMC, and it was really eye-opening to hear about all of the things that they can tell about your health by looking in your eye. Uh, and if you have high blood pressure or you have diabetes, it's even doubly more important that you're seeing an eye doctor so that they can look at the vessels in the back of your eyeball and see if there are any uh, damage that's starting to occur to any of those things back there. That often does require a dilated eye exam where they put the drop in, make sure people get bigger, they can see back there. Um, and so you may uh, want to plan accordingly for that as well. You know, if you're going to go back to work after that, um, if you can take off, that may be uh, an option as well, because you're going to wear that super cool set of sunglasses that, that is very fashionable for that, which is fine. Um, but I don't want you to not go because you're um, kind of afraid of that. Um, in terms of uh, some of the other things that they're going to do at the eye doctor that are important, things like the um, puff of air in the eye, which is often one thing that people get very scared about, but it is okay. It is checking pressures in your eye. Um, and just like I want you to have really open realistic conversations with your primary care provider, I want you to do that with your eye doctor or your dentist as well and talk to them about what you're scared of because there are often um, things that they can do that may not be the perfect test, but it's better than not seeing them at all. And so if getting that puff of air in your eye or um, getting a dilated exam is keeping you from going because you're scared about those things, just go and talk with them about your fears, right? And I'm sure that they're going to work with you to get the best amount of information that they can um, in order to be able to, to take care of you the best, right? And so 
Everybody should be going to the eye doctor, in particular if you wear glasses, you got contacts. Those are our yearly exams that need to happen. If you have uh, high blood pressure or diabetes, that's also a yearly exam that needs to occur, as well as if you take certain medications. Um, Plaquenil is a medication that's often used for uh, autoimmune conditions that requires an eye exam um, yearly as well. So make sure that you're staying up to date on those. And then in terms of your dentist and your dental health, that's one that a lot of people are scared of, myself included, um, but we just have to go and do it. Uh, and again, talk with the dentist about what you're scared of, what your apprehension is about, and find somebody that you're comfortable with. But um, at least every year, ideally every six months, we should be getting um, a prophylactic visit, meaning we get our teeth cleaned and they're looking at our gums and all of those things, because we do know that gum disease is linked to heart disease. And so having good, healthy gums is one of the ways to lower our risk of uh, heart disease. So those two things are absolutely related, and we want to make sure that we keep those um, as healthy as they can be and uh, prevent any problems in the future. One thing that gets really overlooked toward the end of the year is your flexible spending account or your health savings account, if you have one, which is often um, an account where you kind of uh, place a certain amount of money at the beginning of the year that you're going to be able to use on specific health-related um uh, costs uh, that is kind of pre-tax. So deciding how much you put in each year, um, you, if you take a look at what you've used year over year, that may be a good um, kind of estimate to help you put the correct amount in there. But now's the time to kind of look and see what you got left, what hasn't been spent um, and you usually can spend it on things like um, your co-pays, prescription medications, those types of things. And so um, at the end of the year, it usually does not roll over into the new year. Now, there are some uh programs that will give you a little bit of a grace period and let you have a couple of extra months in that new year. So you just have to check your individual policy on what the, the rules are there. But we don't want to lose that money that is there. So Thinking about things that um, can be purchased before the end of the year. Uh, for me, it's always my reminder to order my contacts before the end of the year. So I always go ahead and order um, kind of an extra box of, of contacts and to, to use some of my flexible spending account money on it that way. Um, also, if you have any other kind of medical equipment that you use, like your blood pressure machine or a glucometer, those kinds of things, do they need to be updated? Um, do you need a new one? Uh, getting that before the end of the year and using your flexible spending account for that um, can be helpful. Um, or any, um, you know, if it's time for medication refills, go ahead and getting those done right before the, the end of the year. Uh, depending on your policy or your account will depend on whether you can purchase over-the-counter medications with that. Some of them allow for that. Some of them don't. Um, some of them will let you get over-the-counter medications uh, covered by that healthcare spending account with a prescription from your healthcare provider stating kind of medical necessity of those. Um, and so you can uh, you can talk with your healthcare provider about that, but just trying to maximize the use of those dollars before they go away at the beginning of the year is a good option. 
Now, the next um, couple that I want to talk about are really to pour into you and self-care for you as you move into the new year. Um, I'd love to see you pick up a new hobby or a skill. And that can sound like, God, I'm busy. I don't have time for that. Right. But we do spend a lot of time doom scrolling on our phones. Right. And that can be a good opportunity to learn something and try and learn something new. Uh, every week, right? Whether it be a new word, a new um, food, all of those different kinds of things. So I, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to very intentionally try and do this this year. I have wanted to learn how to make one of those chunky blankets that that you see online people doing they like hand crochet it or knit it or whatever it is I don't know how to do that um, I love a blanket and I am exceptionally cold natured and so that is going to be my skill for the new year and learning how to do that now anytime we think about adding a new skill in we want to get really specific with the steps that we're going to need to do that, just like we would do for any health behavior change. So instead of just saying, I'm going to learn to do this next year, I got to think about the steps that I need to put in place to be able to start doing that in the new year, whether that is finding a class in person to do, finding a class online and kind of comparing the costs of those things, um, seeing what kind of equipment or supplies that I would need on the front end. All of those things are things that I can be working on right now in the last month of the year to kind of set me up for success and being able to adopt that new uh, or learn that new hobby um, in the new year. Now, if I start it and I hate it, that's okay, right? I tried something new and you can absolutely do that on things that don't cost anything. Maybe you want to learn a new language. There are a ton of free apps out there that will teach you basic uh, vocabulary and language that you can start with. So giving your brain something to do other than just scrolling social media or watching television can be so important for keeping our brain healthy and decreasing the risk of cognitive decline. So finding something that you've always wanted to do and just kind of taking that leap a little bit there and trying that out is a really important um, thing to think about. One of the other things that can be really powerful for your mental health is decluttering and donating. Um, I am a just I like to keep all the things. And my husband's like, why do we have this? I'm like, Because I might need it one day. Spoiler alert, I have never needed any of those things that I have kept. So but somebody else may need those things. And so that gets at mental health in a couple of different ways. The first is the more clutter we have around in particular clutter in the areas that are supposed to be areas of relaxation, like our bedroom, um, the more clutter that's there, the more stress we tend to carry and the uh, worse we sleep. So decluttering, even if it's just um, one shelf in your closet or one uh, shelf of your bookshelf um, can be great for lowering that stress and helping you sleep better. Plus donating or going to volunteer in one of the areas that you're making donations to is again, great for mental health. It's great for fostering social connection. It's great on working on loneliness, which is such a 
much bigger issue than we give it credit for. Again, we did a show completely dedicated to loneliness and how it really impacts not just our mental health, but our physical health in general. So decluttering a little bit, donating, and then uh, picking a spot to volunteer at are all steps that you can put in place right now to to kick off your year in a healthy way right? and make one of your healthy um, goals for the new year not be anything related to what we're eating or moving or how much we weigh or any of those things that we tend to assign to our new year's resolutions, but making it about your well-being and how you feel and move in the life that you are living. Those are all really important steps in helping you stay healthy and fit. Healthy and Fit is produced by Kevin Farrell, and the podcast producer is Abram Nanny. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell. Be sure to tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup and never miss an episode by downloading the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.